Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hello there. Welcome to Business of Design. I'm Kimberly Selden, an interior design professional. My guest is just like you. I am really happy to be here. Week after week, I get the opportunity to process some of the new things I'm learning, speak to the most amazing guests, and this week does not disappoint. I have to say, the conversation I had with Fritz and Melinda, and you're going to meet them soon, has completely inspired me. Make It Matter, episode 176. I'm so glad you're here. Without giving away all the good bits that Fritz and Melinda are going to share, I will say this. They sent in an application that had the following words. With any design problem to solve, it's easy to make it pretty, but hard to make it matter. I couldn't agree more. We had the most amazing conversation, and I confessed to being guilty at times in the past of what I call phoning it in. You know that moment where you have a client and they say, I want a white kitchen with Carrera marble, and you're like, yada, 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 been there, done that, boom, 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 done in a day kind of thing. I truly do my best on every project to dig in deep and find out why the client wants a white kitchen with Carrera marble. What about that makes her feel a certain way? And how can I get to what she really wants in a more authentic way rather than knocking off something we've all done a thousand times? Let me tell you about Fritz and Melinda, and I'm going to start with Fritz because he is co-founder and creative director of OMFG Co. Normally, I like to ad lib the bio a little bit, but I'm going to read you exactly what they have because it's very clever. Fritz Messenbrink hails from the tiny town of Forks, Washington, the home of evergreens, rain, and the occasional vampire. I forgot to ask him about that. I am curious now. He cut his teeth. <laughs> Do you like what he did there? Yeah. He cut his teeth as a designer at Wyden Kennedy's Portland office and quietly freelanced with Stumptown Coffee in his downtime. He's taller than average and frustratingly good at just about everything he does. In 2009, Fritz joined forces with a friend, Jeremy Pelle, to create the official manufacturing company, which is more affectionately known as OMFG Co., a small but mighty creative studio that believes every decision is a brand decision. And honestly, after speaking with Fritz, I completely, completely agree. Melinda Turner is the Director of Architecture and Interiors, and Melinda grew up in Tucson, Arizona, the home of Cacti, Sunshine, and the occasional golfer. She spent her formative design years in San Francisco working at award-winning architecture firms such as WRNS Studio, and Aidlin Darling Design. She also operated a solo practice specializing in hospitality and residential design. After 14 years, she flew the coop to Portland, which she unapologetically loves way more. She thinks about contrast more than food and would rather paint shapes on walls than sleep. Melinda leads OMFG Co.'s design team, more affectionately known as the Department of Interiors. Reading their biographies, I know two things. They're super creative, and I need to have more fun. So getting back to the topic, make it matter. 
I wholeheartedly agree. It really is easy to make things pretty, so much more difficult to figure out how to really make it resonate for clients in a deep and powerful way. Part of the successful equation has to be choosing clients who allow you to take the lead, who don't want a cookie cutter design. But according to Fritz and Melinda, it's also approaching every project with a beginner's mind, being curious, really listening to clients to discover what exactly would success look like. A few things we're going to learn in this episode. Say yes to projects that are backed by clients who have similar values and pass on those that don't. Get clear on what success looks like for your project before you get started. Good ideas come from anywhere, which I love, is so true. And this I'm going to have embroidered on a pillow. Everything is an opportunity. No project goes as planned. We all know that. So Fritz and Melinda say, lean into the challenges and then find creative solutions that embrace the reality of the situation. How many times has that happened where you've kind of been forced into a corner because of some restriction on a project and you had to dig deep and you came up with something really interesting that made the clients excited to have hired you? I'm grateful for the reminder that what I do matters And I can make it matter for my clients too. Let's check in with Cheryl Horn and we'll get right to the show. Thanks for being here. Hello. How are (laughs) you? You know, I'm good. I'm good. I was really happy to take a break from uh, what I was doing, which is just a lot of niggly little client work. You know, a lot of Kind of some tasks have uh, stockpiled on my desk and I'm trying to get rid of them. I feel like a lot of clients are at home thinking of deficiencies right now. Clients, you know, going back years are like, you know, there's this drawer that's not working. And I'm like, oh, we'd be so happy to fix that for you. Well, it sounds like a lot of our members are getting busier with projects as well as things open up. Um, You know, I think people really have spent a lot of time in their spaces and, you know, have been accumulating a really long wish list at this point of things that they want to change. They might not do it all at once, um, but it does sound like our members are starting to get busier. It's so funny you said that. I had a client who literally reached out and said, here's my next three projects in a row and said, let me know when you want to start number one. But like she already knows how she's going to break it down. So I think you're right. People have time on their hands, but we have no time on our hands at Business of Design. We're really busy these days. Yeah, we have a lot going on uh, behind the scenes. I know we've, you know, starting to let members know that, you know, a new site is coming, levels of membership are coming. um, And of course, we will be rolling out more details over the next month or so. More closely, we've got group coaching this Wednesday, June 24th. Registration is open. And I've actually been overwhelmed with members getting in touch about our upcoming webinar that's happening on July 15th with um, Brad Clenard, Control Your Money, Control Your Life. I I think that's been a hot topic for a couple of months now. Um, And a a lot of our members and and listeners are really in need of this webinar. 
Yeah, I've had people reach out and ask me if we're going to be going through how to create a P&L, and that is not what we're going to do in this webinar. However, we are going to show you a couple of case studies of P&Ls and what can happen with some powerful changes. And in that way, at least you're going to see what's on my P&L in terms of categories, and I really like mine. Primarily, we want everyone to focus on the fact that the reason you're in business is to support the lifestyle you desire and the lifestyle you deserve. So it's not about just the day-to-day running your business. That's what we do at Business of Design, right? We get you in the best shape possible so you can really be profitable. But it's about what do you do once you have that profitability? How do you grow that profitability into independent wealth? This is the webinar I wish I had taken when I was 25 years old, but of course I wouldn't have been prepared to handle the information in this webinar at that point. The sooner you can take all this in, the better. And I really do believe there is merit to being in control of your money and no longer completely abdicating that to somebody else. Of course, you can turn over the day-to-day running of your wealth management to someone else, but you do have to know what's involved so you can direct the conversation, you can direct the goals, and ultimately benefit from all of your hard work. Brad's a really great guy. I'm looking forward to the webinar. Hope to see you there. So control your money, control your life. That webinar is coming up on July 15th. The price is $195. Registration is open on the website, and once you register, you will have a chance to send us your questions in advance if you do have them. We will be doing Q&A as part of the webinar, which I think a lot of people need. So head to businessofdesign.com. Sounds good, Cheryl. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses, participate in monthly coaching calls, and find unlimited support within our exclusive members-only Facebook group. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. For independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $79. Annual members save two months. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Hello, Fritz. Hello, Melinda. Nice to meet you both via Zoom, of course. To meet you as well. Yeah, nice to meet you. And you're both in the kind of Portland area, Portland, Oregon area. Yep, probably uh, I don't know, a mile and a half apart. Uh, in <laughs> Not Port- even. Yeah. How is how is Portland doing? Tell everybody what it's like in Portland these days, because we're all uh, hoping that everybody's doing better. Yeah, I mean Portland's doing well, I guess, in spite of everything. Uh, it's hard to be doing well right now or much better than that. You know, there's just, I think the whole city is feeling all of this pretty heavily and uh, really feels like uh, people are waking up to things for the first time ever uh, in a lot of cases, uh, you know, outside of COVID-19, just all the Black Lives Matter stuff that's happening right now is really hardening, I think, in an, in an election year. Uh, so uh, I'm really hoping hoping that the activism right now leads to change. Uh, and I think that is 
a pretty palpable feeling around here. I don't know, Melinda, what do you think? I think it's what's going on right now is quite beautiful. I, I recently had the opportunity to walk over to one of the protests near my house and staying six feet apart was difficult, but um, made that happen. And just listening to the speakers, you know, it was just amazing to hear what kind of a community we have here. And um, everyone's just watching out for each other. It's, it's really just beautiful is the only word I can use to describe it. It feels hopeful in spite of everything that's going on. Yeah. And maybe it never could have happened without COVID happening first. So I'm trying to keep an open mind about whether or not COVID is good or bad. Of course, it's terrible for individuals. But in the long run, I hope we're going to see that there's more good that came out of it than bad. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've thought about that so much, even from the beginning of this. It's just like, when have we as a society had a chance to sit and reflect and really think about what we're doing with our lives, what we do every day, you know, because so many of those things are just, you just do them because that's what you do. And uh, yeah, I don't think, I don't think this would have ever happened without everyone watching uh, so actively and everyone being a t an attentive audience, you know? So uh, I don't know. I think we're going to look back at this time uh, in, I don't know, amazement that it, maybe some of the things hadn't been clear before, but also uh, just as a time of necessary change, you know, and I think that's exciting. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Yes. Necessary change for sure. And necessary disruptions. You are going to hear my phone ring and the gate chime when a delivery arrives and the garage door open and a whole bunch of other noises, which I just don't seem to be able to control these days. I also have my neighbor's um, lawn they're <laughs> weed whacking right now. So hopefully you're not getting that. No, we can't hear it. That's there a new go. reality too. We're having to just not worry about perfection these days, right? It's like, I'm sorry, everybody. Like, this is how it is. And, it, you know, speaking of the podcast, it's been challenging to think about what could I possibly say right now at this time that matters, you know, to anybody. But the truth is there are people, as Fritz said, there are so many people right now reflecting on changes. And my purview in this is their business, you know, obviously changes in our lives for sure in the world for sure. And I'm really excited about that. But my focus here at Business of Design is on business. And one thing you guys said in your application just meant so much to me. And you said that it was really easy to make things pretty, but more challenging to make things matter. What do you mean by that? Well, I think we've always been drawn to doing thoughtful work and have found, you know, you can go on Pinterest and see all of these things and you can replicate them pretty simply now, especially with the technology we have at everyone's fingertips. Uh, that part is, is easy. Everyone can, can make a logo that looks cool or looks like the other thing that you saw. But I think the, that next layer and the layers deeper than that are the ones that are harder, but also the ones that stick with you and, you know, really, I don't know, create meaningful experiences that, that last, you know, instead of just like, oh, that's cool. Nice, nice logo. And then that's the bottom, you know, we always hope to make stuff that, uh, they can kind of continue to meet you where you're at as you get further and further in or, or get to know the brand more or have deeper questions. Uh, we hope that at that time we can answer them. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I would just say that, that like, how does that happen? I think the the details are really important and surprises. And so I think a lot of 
um, what we do is try to inject that into the spaces. Um, and sometimes they're not big moments. Sometimes they're tiny little moments that you discover um, upon greater inspection. Um, I'd love to hear an example of where you feel like you cross that bridge from like, here's the nice thing that we could deliver to the client to here's something that really resonated. We redid the Stumptown Cafe a few years back uh, downtown here. And it was, you know, I think they opened it in like 2001 and it hadn't been remodeled. And, you know, we had this great opportunity to just really think about how to best represent their brand now. And as it's evolved in this space and, you know, like one of my favorite things, oh, there's a couple, I think, uh, things in that space that feel like they speak to this that are, you know, like you get up to you walk in and it's a pretty big, beautiful countertop that runs this length of the the bar where you order. And, you know, from far away, it looks just like Carrera marble. And, you know, that's a nice like white Oak beneath that. And uh, we just kept like trying to play with, you know, how does this feel Stumptown? You know, how can we mess this up or rough this up a little bit in a way that feels honest to their brand? And that's where we took like all this big, these big giant slabs of Carrera and broke them and then glued them back together with like a gold glue. So it's like a Kintsugi uh, pottery and just found that like that created this like moment that you don't notice from far away, but when you get up close to it, it's one that you just want to touch and go like, Oh my gosh, that's really cool. And just something that felt like unique to them. Um, which, which I think is like what we're always uh, hoping to achieve. Uh, also in that space, we have like a coffee table in the back of the space. That's uh, kind of, kind of has a, like mid-century modern form to it, like a Noguchi style base. That's like a three, mm-hmm. you know, three points on down and three points up. And it's like, uh, that one is, you know, has an amber glass top to it and it's like really pretty. And, and then when you get up to it closer, we like cast a bronze snake. That's the base. So it's like, you know, it has still like a punk rock appeal to it, but from far away, it just looks like nice and modern. Uh, so like a lot of those kind of things I think are fun to play off of where, uh, they read uh, a particular way from further back and then you get up close to them and you might, and you might not notice it the first couple of times you go. And I think those are the things that, uh, we also love. To me, it re- it makes me think of, um, the difference between phoning it in. I refer to kind of phoning it in and really spending time going deeper into, what you think might surprise and delight the client. I'm always looking for the client to go like, oh my gosh, I, I never would have thought of that. Is that, does that register for you guys as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think we have a terrible time phoning it in. Uh, I think uh, to a fault sometimes, you know, uh, just where, I don't know. I just, it's just so hard for us to let it not be good or great, you know, and, and uh, even I think to my partner and CFO's uh, chagrin. Sometimes it's like we, sure. uh, we just, you know, end up spending the extra amount of time just to make something or even like after the deadline, still sending over one more thing because you're like, this would be a lot better. You don't have to change it, but you know, and most, most of the time the client is just excited about the fact that you care that much and that you want it to be that good and that you are still thinking about it, even though you've already delivered something. So uh, yeah, we definitely relate to that. 
It's so funny you mentioned your CFO because phoning it in is one of the best ways to be profitable, right? If you can just cookie cutter it out of the box and not think about it and not care, you can be extremely profitable, but then you have to live with your sad self. So we don't want to do that. I hit, I hit the wall years ago and maybe, I don't know, Melinda, maybe, you, maybe you've been in this situation too, um, where clients would ask me specifically for, for example, they wanted the kitchen from that movie, was it As Good As It Gets?, is that the movie with Diane Keaton no. and Jack, um, what's his name? Jack Nichols. Jack Nicholson. As good as it gets or something's got to give. Something's got to give. That's it. So I had about 20 clients in a row say, I, you know, I want to do a new kitchen. Great. What are we going to do? Well, I saw this movie, Something's Got to Give. And by the 20th one, I'm like, no, I, I just can't. I can't. I can't do it. So is that the, uh, something you guys ever confront in your world? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to understand why they're asking you for that. What is it in those images or what is it in, in that movie that made you feel the way that you, you feel? Um, and I find that that's just the most important part of it. And sometimes it takes longer than you think it will um, to establish that level of communication with them and really like get to the, to the meat of what they're asking for of you. Yeah, and I found, I mean, we've, we've had people ask us to knock off ourselves or to knock off other things, you know, just like, no, just do one of these, you know, and you're, I mean, part of it's that, that process of just uh, even teaching them about the ethics of knocking off something that's already out there, but also, uh, yeah, finding, I guess, extracting that, that what they really want, uh, you know, because not everyone we talk to has the, the language or the background to speak about design in uh, sophisticated terms, you know, so uh, like a lot of what we do up front is that, you know, we've joked about being brand therapists or design therapists at times where you're like really just trying to get to the, the feeling that they want to communicate or, uh, yeah, I think feelings is, is something we talk about a lot as a company. Yeah. And also just like extracting from the five senses, what they're hoping to achieve. Like, how do you want to feel in this space? How do you want it to, to feel to the touch? How do you want it to, you know, uh, smell, <laughs> uh, all, all important parts of the experience. So it is a little bit about just unpacking the client's preferences and their hidden I guess, preferences, right? Because sometimes clients don't even know what they like. And I think that's why customers go to Starbucks because, you know, if you're in a, a cool city like Portland, I'm assuming there's a great Starbucks and I'm assuming there's also some one of, you know, Stumptown coffee places, even smaller than Stumptown maybe. And so the consumer is having to decide, do I want the sure thing, the thing I know I'm going to get, I know exactly what I'm going to get at Starbucks, or do I want to go off the beaten path and go to this other coffee shop and maybe have a totally different experience? So I think sometimes people pick Starbucks or pick, you know, the safe kitchen design that they saw in a movie because they're afraid. They're just afraid to make a bad choice. So how do you get at their, how do you uncover their fears? How do you get them to talk about it? I think sometimes you just show them what they want and you show them what we think might be more interesting or, or better for them and uh, in the long run. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is just speaking to that why. You know, I, we think so much about how we present the work and how you like carry someone along uh, with you. So you're not just... Uh, showing up at the end, uh, with all the solutions instead, like that story, how we got here, here's where you asked us to go. And then that got us thinking, you know, and you take them a little bit further, 
Um, and a lot of that just comes from, from time and trust and developing a better relationship, you know, and there's a lot of those repeat clients that we have that, you know, okay, yeah, if you think this is a way, well, let's, let's do it. We're willing to go with it. Cause you know, you were right the last time, uh, or that, you know, totally surprised us. And, you know, so I think a lot of those things come over time, you know, and, and as a company we've worked solely on commercial spaces, you know, Melinda came to us with having worked in both, you know, had done a lot of residential and a lot of commercial. And we've always, we've always shied away from the residential stuff just because of the, the personal opinion, the emotions are high. There's a lot of things like I think in there that are a little bit harder. I think it's more therapy probably than what we do. Yeah. Even, you know, we talk about that. I wish I think, everybody could you know, see the smile on your face as you're having this. I can tell you're searching for diplomatic words. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just think about, uh, I don't know. We, we work so hard up front to really establish the reason why and to put a framework around it and put language to it that all applies uh, or is going to apply to everything that we do from then on out, you know, so then it's not as much about like, do you like this color or is this the best color for this, this thing we're going for this brand, you know, this feeling. Uh, and, you know, I think there's something really probably luxurious in being a part of trying to separate ourselves a little bit from the emotion uh, or from this a personal opinion part of it, you know, where we all have to bring our personal taste and, uh, opinions to the to the project but then being able to separate yourself well actually maybe this is this isn't what I would do but this is also not my house you know it's like kind of I think where we get a get a uh, play more often I want to put my finger on something you said there but I'm not sure if I can capture it it was something about the color so rather than do you like this color um which, you know, I find a lot of times I'll say to clients, well, yes, I love navy blue. There's absolutely nothing wrong with navy blue, but you said you wanted a room that was light and bright and airy. So I'm just trying to marry what you said your wish was with the choices you're going to make. So that's really what it's about, right? Like green is great, but why green? So what's the why? It's a good thing we have editing. We can just cut out that long, super awkward pause. Everybody's so polite. We don't we don't want to cut each other <laughs> I off. Wanna, I, I don't want to talk too much, so I was like, uh, yeah, I actually I mean, may not I edit that out. That was kind of fun. Um, I guess I would just say, yeah, it's like, what about that navy blue that brings you joy? You know, like, what is it about the color that, that you like so much? Is it that it's a more handsome color? Is it that it's, you know, it makes you feel, you know, it evokes the sea. I don't know, you know, getting, getting to those points. And sometimes they are, they are silly reasons. And then when we get them, it's like, you know, huzzah. Yeah, it matters a lot, right? I didn't realize I hate the color mint. I used to joke that it was my idea of public <laughs> service to go into paint stores and hide all the mint, all the mint paint chips. And I had no idea why I had this distaste for mint. And then I remembered in first grade, I was always in trouble. I was always in the corner and our classroom was mint green. And I just had this 
overwhelming feeling of nose to the corner and mint green walls. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can see it so clearly now why I hate that color. And it's, it's sort of hard to get to the client's why sometimes. You have to have some conversations. Yeah, we've right. had those for sure. We had a client who was like, oh man, I hate skinny legs on furniture. <laughs> like, and you're, it was like we were working on a mid-century modern inspired <laughs> hotel. It was just kind of like, well, man, that's... That's tough. <laughs> a big part of the you know, like that shows up a lot here, you know. Uh, and it eventually came out that it's like grandma's place was like this and he hated his grandma's place for some reason. And that was like the thing, wow. you know, and it's so funny how we we don't even know why uh, a lot of times, you know, and it's hard to get at that uh, because we often haven't asked ourselves that. We just have these opinions. Yeah. Uh, so and I think that's a fun fun and a challenging part of the job. How do yeah, you I also think it could be a, a really interesting learning experience. Um, you know, having someone prove to you why mint green might actually be a cool color and then realizing, oh, you know, like maybe my my preconceived notion about the yeah. color mint green wasn't wasn't um okay. Yeah, yeah maybe I can let it go. Yeah, purple's a hard one. Yeah. Oh, purple. I can't even. I just can't. I just, I can't even talk about purple. Um, no, it's funny, but uh, but mauve. Okay. Yeah, I can get behind mauve. I like that. In fact, Melinda, is your hair like, is there a little tint going on in your hair? Is it just my screen? There is. Yeah, okay. it's the most natural pink you'll ever see. It's beautiful. I love it. I love Thank it. Thank you. <laughs> and on that note, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, you fabulous design professional you, I would like to tell you about article.com. Full disclosure, they're sponsoring the podcast again. We've worked with them before and you know how picky I am about who gets to sponsor this podcast. So you know I like them. Article.com is an online only furniture resource. I bet you're using more of those these days. If you've never been to their website, what you're going to find is a great robust catalog of furniture that really makes sense right now. Think mid-century modern meets Scandinavian simplicity. Really gorgeous stuff. They have a full professional trade program that gives me exclusive pricing and tax-exempt purchasing on everything in their catalog, which is amazing. And the article team is made up of industry professionals who really understand the complexity of the work we do and are there to assist us with product sourcing and even finding the right item at the right price for your client. I'm all for anything that makes my job easier and, of course, that makes me look good and makes my clients' homes look good. Go to bod.article.com to register. That's bodarticle.com. You'll be glad you did. And thank you, article.com, for your support of Business of Design and the work we do here. And now, back to the show. Do you have a magic question that you ask clients at the beginning in order to figure out how they want to feel in a space? How, how do you know if it's a win? How are you going to know that you're going to be able to make that client happy? Uh, I wish we had a magic question uh, or one uh, because, man, that would be so nice. I mean, there's we're working on a project right now we've been working on for almost a year, and we still have things that come out that you're like, man, how couldn't we have got this sooner? Like, couldn't we have got this out mm -hmm. at the beginning? Uh, you know, and we've 
honed our processes over the years. And we have, you know, a questionnaire we send out at the beginning of the project to really try to get uh, as much of that out. And especially like when there's multiple partners involved, you get everyone to answer it. And then you can even show them, okay, you're, you're not quite on the same page here, you know, like illustrate some of those things and talk about, talk through them at least, you know, and, and this project we're referring to, we didn't really get a chance to connect with everyone and all of their dreams, I think at the front of it, the way we would have liked. So you you can just see that come out over and over. Uh, But yeah, I mean, one of the questions is like, how would you define success for this project? I mean, literally just like, because a lot of people haven't thought about it that, that clearly, you know, because it's a big question. Because uh, it's more than just uh, it has to be profitable uh, for in, I guess most most everything we work on, right? Uh, so, so yeah, that that question alone, uh, I think, often gets gets some of the stuff out. Uh, but yeah, it feels like it's a combination of those, and then just kind of <laughs> to keep asking questions, you know, rather than having the answers. I would say one of my favorites uh, of the more recent questions we've been asking is what's, if your project was a movie, what movie would it be? And when you have like 10 different um, stakeholders answering that question, you get a wide variety of interesting um, answers. You're and like, you, you really get Ooh. an insight into how they think as well. You know, yeah. <laughs> what are we going to do with the Godfather over there? <laughs> He's not going to work with Finding Nemo. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. I heard a magic Fine. question recently, which we've started using. So uh, I, I use that terminology and I'll share it with you if you want. But um, they said that they asked clients and now we've started doing it as well. Three years from now, if I run into you and we sit down and have a coffee and you are super happy, you just couldn't be happier. What has happened in the last three years? And they said specifically, don't don't put yourself into the equation. Don't say three years from now, if I design your home or if I design your office, you know, what's happened, but just leave it open-ended. And I have found that clients will reveal really important information suddenly, just not thinking about it. They get a big smile on on their faces and then they always end up tying it back to the project and tying it back to me somehow, which is kind of beautiful Try it. I'd be great. curious to see if you guys try yeah, that I and really see how that goes. To, I want to try that one. I like those that idea of separating ourselves from it uh, as much as we can. You know, uh, there's like a sales, some like different sales uh, PDFs. I think I've seen that are you know all about like how to you know show someone the promised land, and a lot of times you know it's like making sure that we're not the hero in the story. You know, it's like, they're the hero and they're the ones that we're trying to help get there and, you know, help them achieve their quest. And I always, I like that idea of thinking about it. It's like, how can we help more than uh, like, we're going to conquer this thing for you uh, because it has to be, it has to be both of us working together. I love the hero language, the quest, a mission, conquest, all of those words are so descriptive and so powerful and so much more exciting to me, if I were the customer, so much more exciting than, you know, we're going to get this delivered, the product delivered, yawn, snore. (laughs) Do you have an archetype of a favorite client? Oh man, we, so we probably like six or seven years ago now we had this client uh, internally famous with us that uh, 
we, you know, were solving for a launch of a hotel brand that was a chain that was going to expand into the U.S. and trying to figure out how to how to launch that, but also thinking about, you know, how hotels often open, especially when it's a remodel of a property, is that it doesn't all open at once and it's not all done right at the same time and it's not perfect and you always have this, like, or often have a window where, you know, the restaurant bar is not done yet, but it's going to be and you know, you might be checking in from the place right next to where the lobby is going to be or something. Uh, so we had this like pretty fun solution for how, how we could solve for that. And we presented the idea and we were just like so excited because it was going to apply to every property they opened after this. Mm -hmm. And we were told no one does this. Like no one's done this before we're not going to do this. And like, for us, that was like the whole reason to do it right. was that no one had done it before. And like, <laughs> you're like, yes, just, that's right. That's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. <laughs> exactly. And like for us, it was like, that was the exciting part. And just thinking about uh, how much press you would get just on the opening alone, because mm. it would be like, have like some, uh, a reveal to it and also have uh, like a stagger to it. Uh, and just like, it would work in multiple cities in a way that I think would be surprising and, and something people would talk about, you know, and having like left that meeting, we went back and I think that's when I wrote the line, we build brands for visionaries because we were just like, we don't want to work with anyone who's going to shoot down the idea only because it hasn't been done before because, right. I don't know, that's the kind of the whole, feels like that's a, the, our purpose often is to like ask all the questions and see, poke holes in things and see what what's the way it is because it should be and what it is the way it is just because that's how it has been, you know? And, uh, I don't know. I think that like, we were definitely searching for visionary clients whenever we can, who are going to be willing to do it a little bit differently just because, uh, I don't know, we're not interested in just making more of things and right. doing another one of the thing we've done before, you know, instead it's like, how do we make this better or make something new, uh, more so. Yeah, I think a curious client is also a good sign um, when it comes to visionaries, someone who's willing to, who wants to know more. Um, you know, I think that's uh, important. If you're trailblazing all the time, though, you don't have a detailed map to follow. So you must hit the wall once in a while. You must go down a path and go, oops, my bad, <laughs> turn around. How do, you, how do you handle situations like that with your clients? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good one. Uh, I mean, one of our core values is everything's an opportunity, uh, you know, because I think we have to keep that mindset because I mean, as designers, that happens on every project at some point is just that like, sure, some things change, uh, you're going to have to rethink the thing you already thought because it, the circumstances are now different or, or whatever, you know, and I think, I mean, we, we just did a project where, I mean, we were, halfway through DD and had to go back and do SD from the beginning, uh, based on, you know, just having multiple partners and ownership groups and all this stuff. Uh, and just having not maybe flushed out all the feedback early on enough, whatever it was, right. you know, so we had to go back and start over, you know, and a lot of that is just, you know, I feel like somewhat of a choice that you're either going to like complain about it the rest of the project, or you're going to say, okay, Hey, like, uh, 
now we have a new problem to solve and solving problems is fun and exciting for us. So it's not the worst thing, you know, I think yeah, even the, a setback is an opportunity. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and the, and we find, I mean, so many times in our history have we, you know, been given like a weird limitation that seemed like it crushed the big idea that we had early on. And then that ends up, you know, forcing us to be more creative and come up with a better solution and something that's more unique or more right for the context, you know, and I think maybe having done that before and having seen that that can work uh, helps. Um, I don't know. What else do you think? Yeah, I think early on in, in your career, it's easy to um, hold on to ideas and not want to let them go. But I think as you develop um, these experiences with clients, uh, just being open to to them saying no and um, seeing where that can take you, I think is is actually more exciting in some ways. Well, I think when you're starting out too, at least for me, I thought there was a limit on good ideas. And so I would be really protective of a good idea. It's, it is the right, good yeah. idea. You don't understand. <laughs> this is the good idea. But in fact, there's always a better idea. There's always a better idea. And before we go too far down the path, um, you said DD, which is design development, and SD? Schematic design. Schematic design. Okay, cool. Schematic design would typically be our first phase where we're talking through concept and initial floor plans and mood boards and really trying to get like the story right. Uh, Melinda, you could probably speak better to the phases than I can even. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think schematic, yeah, is is about the story and... um, uh, getting kind of the big, big idea maybe, or the, the overarching concept down, mm-hmm. um, floor plans and some, some imagery. And then we go to DD, which we start to develop those ideas a little bit further and work on coordinating them, um, with the client and other, uh, stakeholders. Um, and then, and then from there, you know, we go to, to CD construction documents sometimes, <laughs> depending on the client and the project. Of course, it's so different in residential design. Some things are, I don't know, phases are good. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it doesn't require quite the same approach, which is probably nice and challenging all at once, yeah. Oh, I I bet there's some beautiful freedom that comes with working on a brand and a, and a big scale project like the hotel you discussed. There is a hotel I recently stayed in in Nashville. I think it was Art Hotel. I'm not 100% positive, but it was so fun. Some of the out-of-the-box stuff that they did, like, you know, you turn a corner and suddenly you'd be in a in a box that was all lit with cameras everywhere and you become an art installation. You didn't even know it. You're like, what is that? Oh my gosh, it's me. And then you're moving and you're dancing and people are walking by and you're in a, in a box performing for everybody. You're like, how did I get yeah, was here? It a, a 21C? Oh, it was, yeah, 21C. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Louisville 21C we stayed at and man, like eight years ago maybe and it just blew my mind it was such a cool experience and just like you kept feeling like you were part of part of it in that art art experience but just the way they integrated art into the hotel was phenomenal louisville in the women's bathroom the wall to the hallway is transparent yeah that's in the men's bathroom that's the urinal and you like you use that wall and look outside while you're doing it, which is like so crazy because it feels like you're part of an art experiment or an art installation, you know, like you're, 
exposed, but not. And just like standing there going like, is this okay? Uh, you is know, this what is someone's like, face should look but, like while standing at a urinal? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? it's like, but it's so cool that they, you know, make someone feel like that. And you get to, you know, have that moment, you know, of just kind of like, whoa, check this out. You know, and it's the one you'll like bring your friends to see. You got to see the urinal. You know? That's exactly like, what we did. Like, we were having we were having dinner yeah. downstairs. I said, "Come up, come up. You've got to see." And then the men went into their bathroom and said, "Look at this." And we're like, "Oh my gosh, that's crazy!" Yeah. And Louisville is another cool city. I really had a great time there, and I I actually even enjoyed the um, the baseball bat Louisville Slugger. Yeah, that was awesome. I enjoyed the tour. I was like, "Oh please, I'm not going on this tour," but it was really cool. I want to say thank you to both of you. This topic is really resonating for me right now. I'm all about making my client interactions matter more and about making the spaces that we create for them and for their families to matter more. So thank you for just sharing that idea with us. Really powerful stuff. We like to end every episode with something we call design intervention. Just a great piece of advice you've had in your career, in your business, something you think everybody could use. Yeah, we were thinking on that in advance of this. Um, We've got a friend who is the GM of Ace Hotel Portland and who we've always admired his ability to just kind of run this company. And also, I don't know, he just doesn't seem like he's in it too deeply. It uh, doesn't seem stressed and he's doing a lot of things and working on multiple businesses at once. Uh, and he told us the secret was just to lead with generosity. So, you know, hiring competent people that he trusts and then allowing them to do their job. So, you know, if, for in their case, if a front desk worker has a problem that they need to solve or a sticky situation, they are empowered to make the decision to help the guests and make it right on their own. And they don't have to worry about whether they're following the protocol or kind of going to get in trouble Uh, Instead, they just have to come to the weekly meeting and say what happened and say what they did. And, uh, you know, like I think everyone uses that as a learning moment instead of uh, necessarily something that would be disciplinary in any way. So uh, so instead, they're learning from uh, each other's uh, attempts at fixing the problem, which uh, we, we just love that idea and find, you know, the same thing with with our clients, with our work, with our employees, all of that stuff, uh, it just seems to consistently ring true. Did you want to add any last thoughts, Melinda? I think Fritz did a pretty awesome job um, on that one. <laughs> I was going to wink at you, but I, I refrained. <laughs> <laughs> Winks are allowed. Winks are allowed. Well, you guys were really lovely. I'm really excited about what the future holds for you and your brand and the brands, of course, that you are an ambassador for. And thank you so much for sharing so generously with our community. Hey, thanks so much for having us on. This was fun. Yeah, thank you. And when you guys decide to get to Toronto and COVID is over, (laughs) you can come stay with us. We have a place in the country. Awesome. Plenty of room. Yeah. would love to. I, we, we've had a few potential clients out there and never had any of them take off, but uh, we're, I was very close to a number of trips out there, so I'm hoping uh-huh. to do that soon. Yeah, it let us nice know if you're, you. if you're ever in Portland. I, I absolutely will be in Portland. I love to travel. That's one of the most challenging things about oh, this. Great. I'm like, no. All right. 
Stay yeah. well. Yeah. Talk to you soon. You're welcome come to come back anytime after you hear this one. If you like it, you're okay. welcome to come back anytime. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Stay well. Bye awesome. for now. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of the Business of Design community. If you love what you hear on the podcast, take the next step by signing up at businessofdesign.com. As our thank you, you'll gain access to Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy, a free introductory course which includes three Business of Design systems you can implement for immediate results. And when you're ready for success, a Business of Design membership, monthly or annual, will dramatically improve your business and your life. What are you waiting for? Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today.